Welcome to Get In, the podcast focused on the exponential growth and innovation in the burgeoning tech hub here in the Midwest. I'm Matt Hunkler, CEO of Powder Keg, and I'll be one of your hosts for this amazing conversation. On the show today is Emil Ekior, CEO of InnoPower. Complaining in the pros, the dollars that come with it, obviously, <laughs> all of those things, right, just, just make you feel like, wow, you know, and... Part of my goal was to get the rest of my family here, my brothers and sisters. So even though that wasn't my dream, my dream was business. But opportunity to play pro sports became my dream once I realized, okay, this can happen. Emil was born in Lagos, Nigeria, and came to the U.S. when he was 15 years old with just a suitcase and a one-way ticket. Since then, he's been a catalyst for change to those around him. He played football at the University of Central Florida, where he was a three-letter winner, Following that, he continued to pursue his passion on the gridiron with a seven-year career in the NFL, playing for the Atlanta Falcons, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Oakland Raiders. He eventually settled in Indianapolis, where he was an administrator for the public schools, a business owner, and a nonprofit leader. As the CEO of InnoPower today, he and his team use seed stage impact investing to drive innovation and to accelerate economic prosperity in black communities in Indiana and Sub-Saharan Africa. Get In is brought to you by Powder Keg and Elevate Ventures. And Powder Keg is the only private member network focused on supporting tech companies and leaders in fast-growing communities beyond Silicon Valley. We love collaborating with Elevate Ventures, which is the most active seed and early-stage venture capital firm in the Great Lakes region. Be sure to follow their profile on Powder Keg to learn more about what's going on at Elevate, their latest investments, as well as some of their potential career opportunities. You can do that at powderkeg.com elevate. Again, that's powderkeg.com elevate. I'm joined today in studio with co-host Christopher Tof Day, CEO at Elevate Ventures, and Nate Spangle, head of community at Powder Keg. Great to have you here, man. You have a very impressive career, and I'm excited about what you're working on with InnoPower. But I, I figured we could actually start by taking it back a little bit to your early life in, in Lagos. Do you mind talking a little bit about what that was like and what some of your earliest memories were there? Yes, I tell people there's, there's no place like Lagos, Nigeria. It's like it's one of a kind. 13 million people, the largest population of black people in the world in Nigeria. Nigeria has a population of 200 million that they count, give or take. Growing up in Lagos, right, I tell, like, True capitalism, right? I say capitalism at its finest. No bad things, no safety nets. Every person goes out to work every day. You pretty much hunt what you eat. So entrepreneurship is the basis of a lot of things there. Being able to start a business, sustain a business, and grow a business. It's pretty much the way of life in Lagos. So I, I tell people I was born with entrepreneurship in my DNA, right? To survive, you just look at making a business, um, starting a business and growing a business. And just growing up in that environment just informed so much. I didn't know it back then, mm-hmm. but it informed so much of my thinking going forward as far as what you want to do in life. How do you get economic freedom? Not having the mentality of working for somebody. I always had the mentality of having my own. And then I say this as well, right? Sometimes in the world we live in, being Black has a ceiling to it. Coming from Nigeria, being black didn't have a ceiling to what you wanted to do. Everything I ever saw in my life with black presidents, black doctors, black, black business owners. So there wasn't a limit to what I saw myself doing in life. 
So coming to the U.S. just really took that to a whole nother level. When they told me I was coming to the U.S., I was like, I told my family I was sad in front of my mom and dad. But I walked outside to all my boys and I was like, yes, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like I'm going to the yeah. U.S. and I'm sending for you guys in 10 years. You're coming to join that. me. How'd that happen? How did that, what was the discussion in the family or how did it happen that you decided to come to the U.S.? At the time, the government had just changed from civilian rule to military rule. Mm -hmm. So my dad just saw, as far as from a landscape of opportunities, right, and, and, and where you want to grow up to be exposed to opportunities. And he just felt like, hey, look, I have a friend in the U.S., and I just think the timing to go there and pursue opportunities is right. They didn't know what was going to happen in the country with the military rule. So he said, you know, this is an opportunity to leave before things get too bad. I have seven sisters and two brothers. So obviously sad I was leaving my family, but everything we learned, everything we saw growing up was the land of opportunities, right? Just get me there and I'll make it. I don't know how, but if I just get there, I can make it. You mentioned kind of growing up in that entrepreneurial culture. And I imagine you brought a lot of the lessons learned when you came here to the U.S. Was there one particular entrepreneur or mentor early on in Lagos who taught you some lessons that you brought with you? So my dad was an entrepreneur. My dad did a lot of import-export. He brought in products from you know, Europe to Nigeria, sold cars, different things, just a, a way to feed our family, right? So he was deeply into entrepreneurship, did a lot of import-export work. So I saw that every day. And I didn't know I was paying attention. I didn't even know those things stuck with me, but I just saw that happen on a daily basis, the daily grind of making that work. The way that also provide, not just for my brothers and sisters, but my cousins, aunts, nieces, everybody. So like I said, while I was there, I didn't, I didn't think I was paying attention, but you know, as I got older, th those things just became natural to me, right? Seeing opportunities, um, thinking out of the box of how, as far as opportunities, being able to see things differently than others saw it. It just it was just natural for me. But thinking back now, as far as where did that come from? As you get older, you start thinking, how do I know this? Sure. And seeing that growing up and seeing everybody around me. So if you could think of this in Lagos, right? The average person in, in Lagos, Nigeria has about two hours a day of power. Mm, wow. So if you're a market woman and you sell meat or fish, right? Whatever you don't sell that night, you either eat or give away, right? Or you yeah. try to sell everything. But every day you start from zero. Wow. So you, when you talk about entrepreneurship and capitalism. High stakes. That is at its finest, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, being able to survive, knowing that, hey, look, we don't have a lot of resources. I have to find them. So seeing that on a daily basis, seeing the daily grind of people trying to make it and get economic freedom just stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. I read somewhere, right, in, in our vast research that you conducted your first transaction when you were six. Yes. Tell us about that. No. So growing up, obviously, young, again, seeing that environment, everyone is doing a transaction. You know, if it's a market woman selling, if it's the kid on the street selling drinks, all of those things are happening. And you're saying that and you want to you want to do your transaction. You want to be able to share that. Hey, I just sold this. Right. So the same thing, you know, at school with my friends and everything else, you know, started doing those kind of things, finding products that I can bring and sell and just make a living because I saw an opportunity, you know, knowing what your friends need mm -hmm. and saying, if I could get my hands on this, I could sell it to them. I can make this much profit doing it. So that way of thinking started back then where you'll come to school and you have product that you can share with your friends 
you know they need it because they've already said that they don't have it. So <laughs> just having that mindset at a young age started that at six. And then every year after that, every day, I can, I can remember just different things I did growing up. My brothers did. Just the conversation about entrepreneurship, you know, about making it and dreaming about making it. Mm. Um, and we didn't dream about making it thinking about getting a job, right? It was like, I want to start this business. I want to be like this person. You saw your dad doing work and grind and you wanted to do better. But also watching TV and seeing entrepreneurs from the U.S., right? And seeing, I remember watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. <laughs> that was our favorite show, watching awesome. that weekly, right? And seeing all of this and saying, wow, that you can really go make this happen. So all of those things at a young age just really informed just the passion to do this. But how much Western influence was there in Nigeria? So w w whether it was arts or music or business, how much of that was it? On occasion, you would see the lifestyle of the rich and famous, or were there a lot of things ingrained throughout the culture? Ingrained throughout the culture, right? Because the Western way is the way, right? Capitalism, entrepreneurship, free enterprise, that is the way everyone wants to leave. Everybody, I tell people this joke, when I go to Nigeria, people do a lot of business in China, but nobody dreams about going to Shanghai. <laughs> like everybody wants to come to New York, right? Because of that feeling of freedom and economic freedom and and, and those transactions and business. So watching TV and, and watching this Western shows, watching Lifetime and Weekly, Rich and Famous Weekly. Yeah. You know, we used to watch that, rush to the TV weekly to sit down and watch that. And it's a dream of making it, right? And knowing to do this, you have to own your own business. You have to do things that these other folks have done to make it that big. Are there things that you tell entrepreneurs today related to what you learned early on, just based on your culture there of dreaming and having a vision and not having limitations to where your dreams could go. When you talk to entrepreneurs today, is there anything that you suggest that they do? Yes. So one thing that did hit me when I came to the States, I remember landing and calling home and saying, most of my friends did not feel the same way as I did coming here. Mm. So my black friends here, I saw, didn't have the passion. And I was wondering like, what? They don't have the same like passion and desire for opportunity, but didn't understand all the systemic issues, different things that have happened. Mm -hmm. Obviously coming from Nigeria, we had colonization and dealing with that. But that hit me and that really stuck with me. It wasn't until years later as I got older and understood. So what I tell entrepreneurs today, the only failure is not doing. Mm. Right. If you have an idea and you you have a passion for something you want to do. The, the failure is not doing because when you do it, even if you do fail and not succeed, you learn from it. Absolutely. Yeah. It informs the next move and yeah. the next move and the next move. And in this country, if you don't feel like you're one deal away, or one idea away, or one connection away, then you might as well stay in a third world country, right? That is the essence of being American, I think, is you're one chance away from making it. Right. You just got to keep swinging and having more and more at bats. Right. Yeah. So that opportunity, that feeling of opportunity is what we as InnoPower feel like has been missing in our black communities. Mm. Is the opportunity of feeling like you are one connection to have this great idea. All I have to do is meet this person or all I have to do is get this much dollars in my pocket to make it happen. So we feel like introducing that feeling of opportunity to everybody 
unleashes so much potential. Yeah. And the question is always, how do we do that? Yeah. yeah. Well, talk, talk about when you first got to the U.S. You had probably no idea what your future had in store for you. Did you even watch American football? before coming to the U.S.? Never watched it, watched basketball growing up, played soccer growing up, and never really played organized sports, right? (laughs) So I got here, and again, the U.S. high school experience is probably one of the best things ever. Why is that? Because you get plugged into things, right? I didn't have friends, but playing sports just plugged me into an environment to make friends, to learn those lessons of if you believe in yourself, if you work hard, you can achieve, right? That basic principle doesn't exist everywhere. You know, I came from a place where you could you could come from poverty and work as hard as you want to and you'll never make it. Mm. But in this country, you can actually, if you work hard and believe in yourself, you can make it. Yeah. Right? And when you feel that way, most people that I meet that have been successful have that feeling daily. Right? So coming here and saying that, wow, you know, the high school experience getting plugged into sports the whole homecoming, everything that came with it was amazing. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is it. So getting plugged into that, playing sports, meeting friends, getting introduced to that mindset of, man, all I have to do is put in the work. Mm. So, so you played in the NFL. So let's now let's go back in reverse. So then it goes to say that you obviously moved to the U.S. You went to this high school. You started to play your first organized sports. And so the first time you played football, no doubt, you walked on the field and you were a superstar, right? Ha, I was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know how to put on my pads, right? <laughs> no, I was so bad my junior year when I first went out, just thinking back at it now. But again, I was plugged into an environment. I went to a school. Football was very successful. So after my junior year, again, the mindset of the work I put it in the work, just started training, and I had coaches around me. Then my senior year, I ended up starting. Midway through my senior year, I had colleges coming to see me. And I remember my coach telling me after my, my junior year, like, look, you have the talent. If you work hard at it this offseason, you could go to college. I'm like, go to college for free doing this? <laughs> I, was like, I, I really love, I really love this guy. But again, put in the work that offseason, and then, you know, getting one scholarship offer from the University of Central Florida. I, the guy didn't even finish the sentence. I took it. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when I first started, I wasn't, I wasn't any good, right? I had the physical traits. I could run, jump, but just didn't know how to play football. Like little kids that were not as physical as I was just destroying me because right? yeah. they knew how to play. But again, it goes back to that and developing that mindset of the work, right? Grind. And I remember my football coach saying this to us as a team that, hey, hard work doesn't guarantee success. Yeah. <laughs> like it just gives you a chance, right? And I okay. say that to so many people today because people feel like, when I work hard and I deserve, no. Like, doesn't guarantee that you're going to be successful, but you have a way better chance of being successful when you put in the work. It's like, the ante, right? Yeah. Like, just to yeah. play the game, you got you to gotta work hard. Yep. Yeah, if you get in the game, you never have a shot at winning, right? What I also think is interesting is sometimes we all will look at people and perceive that, oh my gosh, they're so successful they have to feel like they're on top of the world or you know they've got it all figured out and a lot of times when you really talk to those people even behind closed doors in an intimate setting human to human that a lot of times those people don't even feel Mm. like they've accomplished or made it yet or connected to the right people when you really get to that human raw interaction a lot of times those people still don't feel like they have you ever come across that in conversation oh so 
I think that's kind of what's missing today, right? There are, there are a lot of misconceptions in our communities, in our world, as far as how people get successful. On one side, there's a misconception that some people are just born into success, right? Like the system has been created for you to be successful. On the other side, there's a misconception that certain people don't want to put in the work to be successful. And because we don't have those conversations to learn about people, and when you do, you start learning that, wow, the, some individual stories and, and lived experiences shape people, right? And yeah, you may not have been through what I went through, but you still had to work and overcome certain things to achieve what you achieved. And when you learn that about people, you respect, right? Absolutely. Because you see that people have been through something, like they just didn't wake up and all of this was just presented to them. And that has been missing from our discourse so much in our society, right? And we develop this conception of ideas of preconceived ideas about people without really knowing them and finding out about their journeys. So one of the things COVID did was things like this, podcasts and things like to learn about people's journeys, right? Yeah. And to learn about how people achieve what they achieve. And then you respect people more. So that's part of what I think has been missing in our community, our societies today, just learning more about each other, having opportunities for civil discourse. Mm. And when we start doing that, you, you start seeing that there's so much commonalities with people, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So you're exactly right. Yes. When did you realize when you were playing football that, Hey, I, I might really, I might really have something here. You know, obviously it, it got you into college. Was it before then that you were kind of like, I, I've got this or was it more when you kind of started to realize you had some NFL prospects? It was my, like my junior year, I think in college, my sophomore year, I had like 11, 12 sacks, right? Yeah. And my coaches, like, look, you know, and I was like, you know what? I can actually do this, right? Yeah. How did you feel? I mean, it was, it was, it was energized, right? I bet. Because I'm playing in, in the pros, the dollars that come with it, obviously, <laughs> all of those things, right? Just, just make you feel like, wow, you know, and part of my goal was to get the rest of my family here, yeah. right? My brothers and sisters. So the opportunity to play pro sports or even get in, even though that wasn't my dream, my dream was business, right? You know, on a business, I'm going but the opportunity to play pro sports became my dream once I realized, that, okay, this can happen. Yeah. 12 sacks as a sophomore. Did did Power 5 schools start coming, right? Did, like, other schools start wanting to to bring you on their team, like you're succeeding at UCF? Well, you, so that's the amazing thing about college sports, right? Today, those things happen. Back then, you know, it was for the love of the game. And, and so you, if you went to a school, you stayed at the school, mm. right? So... Back then, you just, you are UCF. That was my family. That was the school. I wasn't going anywhere, I right? Like Dante Culpepper and I were teammates in college, you know, so we were building something at UCF. It was just starting. Back then, we didn't have a campus stadium. We played at the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. But all of those relationships that were, that were built back then are some of my best friends today, you know, because we all went through something together in just the training and, and brotherhood of football. And you said... Right, your goal was always to get into business, right? But what what skills did you pick up from your time at UCF in the NFL in high school football that attribute directly to what you're doing as an entrepreneur? Football and sports were really like like the best foundation. I was a captain in college, so the leadership skills of of, of sitting down with a coach and vision for the kind of team we wanted, understanding okay, what's our vision for the program, having a playbook, right? 
So all of those concepts that say, okay, what's our, I, I say that today in meetings I have is we don't have a playbook. What's the playbook for what we're going to do? What's our system? How do we prepare daily to execute that system? So when we practice in football, we don't practice skills that you're not going to use in a game, right? And the same thing in business and life, right? Is what's our system? What's our playbook? How are we going to execute? What's our organization? Now, who's my defense coordinator? Who's my offensive coordinator? Who are my position coaches? How do we hold each other accountable? How are we developing the individual player, right? With the skills they need so they can perform at a high level. How do we measure success, right? Wins and losses. How do we look at stats and data? You know, how many rushing yards, how many sacks are we giving up? All of those things are things I use today on a daily basis. I tell athletes that they're a lot more prepared for the world than they even understand because of all the things we just, I just talked about. Yeah. yeah Matt's that. our, Matt's our resident sports guy. Right. So he right. knows all about <laughs> sports. My, he's, uh, he's Josh and me. I, I have very, very little professional sports knowledge. I, I can get around on a basketball court, but that's about it. <laughs> You're a pretty good ball player. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. So are you, you got that, you got that outside for, shot. For old man. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> Make sure to mark your calendars for August 29th through 31st for Rally, the world's largest cross-sector innovation conference featuring pitch competitions, demo arena, interactive experiences, and a whole lot more. Join us on August 29th through the 31st in Indianapolis and visit rallyinnovation.com to secure your tickets today. After your time in the NFL, why did you pick Indianapolis and how did you decide what you wanted to do? Wow, great question. So my wife is from Indianapolis. So, you know, I promised, okay, when, when football is done, we're going to move here and settle here and kind of grow family here. Plus, I also had been in Indianapolis. I felt like Indy was a place of opportunity, right? When I was here in late 90s, um, early 2000s, you could even get like a great restaurant eating. <laughs> 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 So I just saw Indy, the cost of living was so low, it was great. So I felt like, well, this would be a good place to, to, to raise a family and there's so much opportunity here. Yeah. So we decided that once football was over, we're going to you know, come, come back here and settle down and raise a family here. I love that. What was your first impression of Indianapolis? Oh, opportunity. You know, I saw that from day one, I said the cost of living was low, so much that time, just meeting people, the conversations about downtown and the future, all of this property downtown was cheap. You could buy stuff and kind of sit up. So there was just all this stuff happening here, and it was nowhere close to where it is today. And you just saw that hey, the city was headed towards those kind of things, right? So we just, we just felt like, hey, this is a good place to settle. Plus, from a family structure, right, and the things to do with your family, obviously my son playing youth sports and all of those things. Indy had all those things in place. Yeah. So it, it was just perfect for us to, to, to come here and settle here and then raise a family here. St. Elmo's Shrimp Cocktail have anything to do with football? I think that was the one place, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. What were your first entrepreneurial ventures? Obviously, you grew up in this entrepreneurial culture, and then you get here, and I imagine you had some fun. Oh, I, so once I... While I was playing in the NFL and once I got done, I always, so import-export is always, mm. right? And for me, entrepreneurship was keeping it simple, stupid. It was, hey, there was, there was an opportunity to take products from here to Nigeria. We had contacts there that would buy the mm. products. So it was a change in dollars, right? Yeah. Um, 
plus the exchange rate and everything else made it so much more profitable. So we just did a lot of import-export. So we shipped cars, products. If you were starting an office and you needed office supplies, we'll take all the, all the, all the orders and we'll supply it there. So we were developing relationships by just those transactions and just keeping those transactions simple. So I did that for so long. I was almost, <laughs> I just got caught into it and I almost had to smack myself. Okay, let's think of something different, right? Yeah. Because you don't wake up every morning excited about import-export, right? <laughs> so we started looking at other things and I started looking at products from Nigeria. Like how can we bring products from there mm. and find markets for those products not just in the U.S., but in the West as a whole. So we switched our, our mindset too, right? Because we also saw certain things on the ground there. Nigeria doesn't have a production economy, right? So don't really produce too much. So we felt like, wow, by just bringing goods in, that we contribute into the success of the economy there. So we, we quickly transitioned to, okay, how can we find products from there and find markets for the products? And that just got us into engaging entrepreneurs. Yeah. Right. So I realized a long time ago, I'll never invent anything. <laughs> I'll never make anything. I could barely fix things. So by engaging talent and plugging in with talent and helping create opportunities for, those ta for that talent, we could all make money together. How do you identify talent? Again, so the sports background too, right? That yeah. like, kind of helps that. The one thing as an athlete, Sure. Like there's no sugar coating, right? Everything in athletics is black and white. Yep. You can either do it or you can't. Yep. Yep. Right? See it, it's on display. There's no the world is different. When I left playing football and, and started just we say living in the real life, right? <laughs> we saw it like that was just so different, right? In athletics, it's all about getting better. Yep. It's all about dealing with failure because you're not going to be successful all the time. It's all about getting knocked down and pulling yourself back up, right? And you can get, you can develop talent, right? If you have the right environment for the development, I can plug you into it. And if you're willing, you can get developed. Now, you may not be a five-star, but, you know, I think football, especially one of those sports, I think you can make yourself a better football player, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, what, two years in high school, full scholarship to UCF? couple of years there and then you're in the NFL like that's the that's the path right there and that's the story but I had something to plug into right there was an infrastructure set here in the U.S. that hey look if you have the talent you're willing to work we'll plug into high school football you go through the work you go to college football you go through I the love work, this you, analogy you know and we lived that and saw that right so as we as I retired from sports and started looking in communities, right? The one thing playing in Oakland, playing here in Indy, playing in Tampa, all of these black communities that I walked into was just so similar. Mm. You could take a black community on the east side of Indy and plug it into Oakland, and it's like you never left Indy. It was just everything looked the same. Yeah. But I also saw just human capital, people that were ta just talented individuals, right? But the way... They looked at opportunity in their communities was different. So in Nigeria, we started seeing so many young people before technology and everything else. So in Nigeria, when I left Nigeria, only about 40% of the homes had landlines. Wow. Right. Today, almost 95% of the people have smartphones. 
So they skipped the whole evolution of technology. They didn't go yep. through beepers and the big phones and all. Yeah. They just went from no landlines to smartphones, right? Wow. But what technology also did, it accelerated the process of going from poverty to wealth. Hmm. If I create a product that can support the masses, I make it at a price point that's affordable to the people because of the shared numbers, right? I can reach more people. So people, young people especially, are solving decade-old problems from food scarcity to education or leveraging technology to do it, and it was scalable. Yeah. So we saw this in the last 10 years just accelerate. So we plugged into that to say, okay, how do we start identifying talent? How do we start looking for great ideas? And then how do we plug them into a system that develops the idea and provides some capital to support so we saw that in Nigeria first. And then here in the U.S., we said, how come this isn't happening in our black communities? The 50 million African-Americans, there are huge problems in these communities. How, come, how are we not leveraging technology to solve these problems and doing it from an entrepreneurial focus? Yeah. What was one of your favorite businesses that you identified and invested some capital into? Tell me that story. So in Nigeria, there was a time where farmers used to have to get their products, get it to the market, transport it, trying to find markets for it, all of those things. One of the companies we saw created an app that allowed farmers to be able to go on the app and say, okay, my products are ready. Then the transportation came to pick up the products, found markets for the farmers, right? Something that simple. Supply chain right there, right? Yeah. Changed the game for so many farmers, right? But the inventor of that product went from just an idea to wealth because they scaled the product, not just in Nigeria, but in Sub-Saharan Africa as a whole. So it solved a huge problem for food waste, right? Nigeria is one of the largest exporters of tomatoes, but one of the largest importers of tomatoes because of the waste and the byproduct, right? So when you don't have enough energy, you don't create the byproducts of tomatoes. So one of the Indiana companies does a lot of business in Nigeria. Red Gold, yeah, Red which, Gold. which yeah. is one of the largest tomato sauce and paste companies in the yeah. world. So solving that problem and just saying, I'm creating an app. The farmer goes on the app because now everyone has smartphones. They let you know when the product's ready. We'll be there to pick it up as soon as they come to harvest. So it doesn't sit for so long. The farmer makes more money because now he's not spending the money trying to transport the products to market. So... Something that very simple took this young entrepreneur from having an idea to wealth, selling company, making money. Love that. Uber, like that. Uber for and, farmers, right? And did that entrepreneur start investing in other ideas? That today in Nigeria, that's taken off so much, right? Because there's so many of these ideas leveraging technology. But that entrepreneur becomes a model for everyone in his community to yep. see. So those things we see are missing here in the U.S., right? And so as Inopar was saying, how do we create opportunities to solve problems in a different way? Well, how do we do it with an entrepreneurial focus, right? What we've seen is a lot of great ideas on how to solve problems. Even here in India, a lot of people start companies and businesses and solve these problems they see in their community. But for so long, right, the, the way organizations have been able to get capital or even dollars in this community have been through the grant process, right? Yeah. That process does not encourage generating revenue. 
It encourages spending money, right? And it's needed because we need a safety net, right? Yeah. So as we look at that process and say the hundreds of millions that have been invested in that, if half of that was invested into startups or business ideas, how many more jobs will we, how much more wealth will we have in certain communities today, right? So we see all of these things and we're saying as Inopal, how do we encourage this? So we knew in the U.S., we couldn't just come in and say, let's wait and get the best talent from these communities, right? Right. Because the norm is not to create this talent. Right. So we had to be involved and have skin in the game in the development process. Mm. To say, what is the system that encourages this kind of business m mindset? How do we get people, and here in the U.S. as well, so what's happened for so long in certain communities is, don't take a chance because you can't afford to miss. Mm -hmm. Go to Safe Route, go to college, get a job, mm -hmm. work at a company for 30 years, get your retirement. And that has been the way a lot of Black communities and, and African Americans have looked at the path to success. Because... I can't afford to take the entrepreneurial path because I can't afford to make a mistake. I don't have a network. I don't have capital. I'm just going to go to school. I'm going to get a job, work at this company for so long. Today, we're trying to change that mindset in these communities to say that, okay, there's opportunity. Opportunity exists. How do you do that yep. for one person? Like, if you're just talking to one person, they say, you know, all my, my parents said, you know, go to college, get a safe, secure job, try to find a big company that you can stay with for 30 years. I'm not saying that's bad, but if, if you were to kind of encourage them to do entrepreneurship, how so, do you change that mindset? And that is, that is such a good question, right? Because what you have to also have to show is back to the, what we said about athletics. So many young people in communities grow up every day feeling like I could be the next LeBron James. <laughs> right. Because they see it. Yeah. The infrastructure is set for them to plug into. Mm-hmm. If I'm a kid in Indianapolis and I want to play basketball, if I want to make it to the NBA, AAU basketball, Little League basketball, middle school basketball, high school basketball, the infrastructure is set, places where you go get training. Yep. All of that is set from a young age. But for, to be an entrepreneur, that, that hasn't been defined. So today with all the energy around uh, equity, and creating opportunities for more African-Americans to start and grow a business. It's great. But what we miss is what is that system? What do I plug into? Yeah. As we try to encourage the mindsets of, of see a need, meet a need, right? Those are young men here in Indy, Taylor Simpson. Some You guys probably know Halo app and Taylor. Yeah. So Taylor created this app that he saw the need with check cash in places in black communities. And saw that so many people were going in these check cashing places and pretty much getting ripped up. And there was a time a couple of years ago where the state, the Obama administration had a law that capped interest rates for check cashing places. And then the state of Indiana pretty much lifted that cap. And people were in uproar about that. So what I said was, you know, we shouldn't create policy to stop that. What it does is create business opportunities. So create a check cashing place with, with, with a lower interest rate and more people will come to you. So Taylor created this app and his vision was, if I could get more people to use this and do peer-to-peer -peer lending, you know, this is a marketplace for it. So when he created this in Indy back then, it's funny how time flies. And two years later today in India, three years, there's so much more happening 
than it was four years ago when he started. He was trying to plug into something, right? Trying to get people to listen to his story and, and where do I plug into? How do I get support? How do I get people to understand my idea, right? So what happens in this space is if you don't have the lived experience to understand what Taylor was seeing in the community he was coming from, there'll be so many questions around how valid is this idea, right? Yeah. Well, four years later, there've been three or four apps created to do something similar. And Taylor has since moved out of Indy and is in Charlotte now. Mm. But that's an example, right, of, of someone who saw a need in his community created a product, a technology to solve that problem, but then where do I plug into? How, how do people who want to start for-profit enterprises and get plugged into InnoPower plug into your programs? What are, what are some of the best entry points? So what we, what we try not to do is, is programs. Mm. We, want to, we want to leverage, elevate, right, and, and what they already have, right? Because Again, what, ha what, what we've learned from mistakes of the past is the sustainability of this kind of program. You really don't get the right investments to do the work. It's the hardest work. And we're talking about generating wealth, right, in communities. So those things don't generate wealth. Right. Right. But they're needed because the people that you want to develop don't have the dollars to pay for the services. So what we try to do is be a conduit to say, okay, Elevate has origins. We want to develop this type of entrepreneur normalize this, right? How do we sustain this, right? What does that ecosystem, what do you, what do you plug into? Mm -hmm. So what we try to do is not look at it. What happened post George Floyd was there was such a desire for, for something like, and rightfully so, right? Everybody was energized to do something. We didn't take time to think through the, the process, the progression. We jumped right into activity, right? Training for black businesses, capital. So today, as we look back and say, in the last three years, what infrastructures have been built? Yeah. And how do we plug into it? And we see that we haven't really spent time to build those infrastructures that if I'm a young person in college, if I'm a young high school student, I'm developing the entrepreneurial mindset. If I'm in college and I have an idea, I want to start a business, there's a place to plug into. So for us, right, we think the biggest opportunity is to create this infrastructure. So on the back end, you have an influx of talent that you can now invest in and make money together. Yeah. If we don't build these infrastructures today, 10 years from now, we'll be sitting there having the same conversation. The other thing that people don't do is what kind of business can I start on the east side of Indy? What does the market research and analysis say? Whose role is it to do that? So the state and the IEDC will say to me, Emil, we have the ability to do those. We could tell you from 38th and Meridian, 38th and German Church, what kind of businesses should be created based on earning what the people earning that was missing. So those kind of things, right, and that kind of infrastructure and progression is what we haven't what we missed, right? We missed it because there was so much energy around, we got to do something, which we did. But let's not miss the opportunity to, to really say, you know what? If you're going to start a business on this side of town or in Gary, Indiana, here are the kind of businesses that will succeed based on true market research and analysis. Those kind of things have never been done in these communities, right? 
And those are the things that we have the opportunity. So it's not just saying, let's train entrepreneurs. I, I tell people all the time, it's like practicing all the time, not playing the game. <laughs> Everyone wants to train the entrepreneur, but where is the entrepreneurial opportunity? So in black and brown communities today, right, this is the first time in American history that the focus has been on this, right? On economic empowerment, right? Economic freedom, entrepreneurship in these communities. So what is the market research? What, what are the opportunities in these communities? Today, there are huge opportunities in the state of Indiana to supply diversity and procurement, right? The state does a disparity report every year that shows, you know, the disparity in contractual opportunities, right? So if you're a minority, if you're, if you're a black and brown person in America, I say Indiana is one of those places that there is opportunity, right? Because today more and more people are seeing that differently. I mean, sitting here with Tove and having this conversation, and these are conversations we've had. If you're a landscaper and you're doing great business in Indy, Indy opportunities to scale your company to Fort Wayne and Gary, right? Um, those opportunities exist. Guess what? You could be doing the Ivy Tech campus in Fort Wayne, yeah. you know? But what do I plug into? Yeah. And that's kind of where we are today is back to the sports analogy, like what is that progression that you plug into? If you're a young person or if you are in corporate and you want to jump and start a business, but I just don't want to, I'm making 200K. I just don't want to leave that. <laughs> I want to start a business, but I can't take a chance. Well, we're saying, hey, there's an opportunity to come plug into this. I'm so glad it exists. You know? Yeah. But it exists from trial and error, right? We didn't know sure. we'd elevate that. This is something that, but in the past, there was not a willingness to even try things like that. Yep. I love go. it. Well, I, I know we're a little bit over time. Do we have two more minutes for a lightning Yo, round? Yeah, I'm fine. I, I've got three questions for you. First one is this. Outside of the amazing entrepreneurs, what is Indiana known for? Basketball. I love it. Second question. What is a hidden gem in Indiana that you really love? Lungs Donut. Oh, yes. I told you. Okay, so I I, we do have you. to dive in on this one, right? So you briefly you like brushed over the fact that your son, right, is is going to be drafted potentially, right? Mm -hmm. And we were watching, doing our research. We saw that his favorite thing of Indianapolis was also Longstone, <laughs> right? So yeah, we grew up. I, I almost went and got a baker's dozen to bring to this podcast. So right? now I wish funny I had. story, right? My son played little league here, obviously, right? So. Every Saturday, Little League football, long zone, right? The whole team, win, lose, draw, dozens, right? So we just right. kind of, it's been part of everything. And there's nothing like a fresh, hot donut. So here's a question then. Has, has Long's Donuts made it to the Alabama Crimson Tide? Do they so, know about Long's? So last year, in the national championship, part of the deal was if we won, the whole, we were just going to load up Long's for everybody, right? <laughs> we ended up not winning, so... <laughs> But the goal was win, and before everyone got on the plane to leave Indy, the whole team, staff, everybody, we were just going to supply lungs. And we didn't win. It was a long night. We're all sad. So don't want to talk Maybe about Maybe the that. next one. Yeah. Maybe the next game. <laughs> Last question. Who is someone else that we need to keep on our radar? Someone who's doing big things. Obviously, Kelly Jones. Absolutely. And, and being nimble. I think what Kelly did 
or what she was able to accomplish with just creating the fund. People really, really underestimate the power of optics, right? Her doing that set the tone for others to feel like they can, like this can happen. Yeah. Right. A black female, $20 million fund, all her energy around entrepreneurs and developing entrepreneurs. So the power behind what she just did, even for us as a state, yeah. really put Indiana on the map for people to say, because that had never happened. So there were funds created, but no one from Indiana, person of color, had ever created such a fund. And the fact that she did it really was, I think, we'll look back years from now and, and, and look at that as a lightning rod, right? And there's still people that don't understand that, right? Because they're just not from the business yeah. mindset and everything else that downplay what she did. But people who know, know. Oh, yeah. She's so, already made some great investments yeah. that are already paying off. So kept, raising you, a fund like that, yeah. it's hard for anybody. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's amazing. It's awesome. Future guests of the podcast. Yeah, some we'll of, make uh, that happen yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, She'll be on. So Kelly is definitely like right up there. Another person that um, definitely need to get on the podcast is Jalen Smith. Mm. I don't know Jalen. So, oh, well, that, that'd be a sports thing, man. Yeah, see? <laughs> so Jalen grew up in Fort Wayne, went to Bishop Lures. He ended up going to Notre Dame, playing football in Notre Dame, was projected to be like a top five pick in his last game in college, hurt his knee uh, against Ohio State, still got drafted, got drafted in the late first round, early second round, I think, went to the Cowboys, proved himself right, ended up getting a $40 million guaranteed contract wow. about four years ago. Two years ago, got... It was out of the blue last year. It got released. But his contract was guaranteed, so he still got his. Nice. So he ended up going to Green Bay, but now he's with the Giants. So when Jalen got his contract, he committed $2.5 million to support great capital for black entrepreneurs. That's amazing. So he started this pitch competition to partner with Sagamore Institute. Yeah. Sagamore is also able to leverage the social impact dollars to support that's right so jalen ended up putting this and then getting other entities to match so he has 13 portfolio companies all tech focused um trying to really establish more here in indy a lot of those companies are not from indy so he did a pitch competition in dallas and so imagine there's an nfl player nfl support pitch competition and you're talking about talent and unleashing talent from Dallas. He did one in Tampa, same thing, all from all over Florida. So Jalen was really looking and been talking about trying to really establish things here where there's the capital to support businesses that, that businesses are formed, but also plugging into the, infra, the training infrastructure. So that's what most people are looking for is because yep. there's no money to make in the development process, right? So whose role is it to create that infrastructure to develop the talent? So Jalen is, is someone that I think will be great, who's doing really unbelievable. He's a great that Jalen's 28 years old. Yeah. If he retires today, he's going to have $40 million in his account. Yeah. Right? And he's, he's a Hoosier, born, born and bred, believes in Indy, but is an entrepreneur all I the way it. as well. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll make that happen Absolutely. for sure. That's great. Well, Emil, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was really great to have you on, and I love your story and what you're building with InnoPower. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. You guys, 
Yeah, I think you hit a home run with this. This is going to be fun listening to. Looking forward to uh, it. So thank you. And anything I can do to support the show, let me know. This has been Get In, a Powder Kick production in partnership with Elevate Ventures. And we want to hear from you. If you have suggestions for our guest or segment, reach out to Matt or Nate on LinkedIn or on email. To discover top tier tech companies outside of Silicon Valley in hubs like Indiana, check out our newsletter at powderkeg.com newsletter. And to apply for membership to the Powder Keg executive community, check out powderkeg.com premium. We'll catch you next time and next week as we continue to help the world get in. Since you just listened to this podcast, you might be thinking about starting one for your company. Lucky for you, our partners over at Casted have you covered. Casted is the first and only podcast and video marketing platform made specifically for B2B brands. I love this about them. The platform makes it possible to publish, syndicate, amplify, and measure the value of your podcast and video content. In fact, we use it for our podcast here at Powder Keg. And if you're a startup, you should listen up because Casted for Startups is definitely for you. They are offering exclusive deep discounts of up to 82% off retail price for qualifying startups. Connect with Casted at casted.us slash powderkeg.